welcome to another episode of the Oil Star podcast. This episode is a bonus episode because I thought I would talk through the books that I've read in January 2022. And since I post every month book reviews in blog format, I post it on my Instagram page. I thought it might be good just chat through them, literally chat through them on my podcast. And I might start this every month, just throwing in a little bonus episode if you wanna listen to me talk about the books that I've read this month and which ones I'd recommend and which ones I didn't really enjoy. So. Here's a little bonus episode of my book reviews. So if you don't already know, I obviously read a lot. I read 77 books last year, I read 78 the year before, and a bit unhinged of me, but I gave myself the target of 100 books in 2022 because, you know, why not? And obviously I have no life and just dedicate my time to reading, but people do often ask me how I find the time to read so much and like how I do actually read upwards of 70 plus books a year and I don't really know is the honest answer I wake up early in the morning go to the gym around 7 a.m come back and read for an hour before I start work so from like 8 a.m to 9 a.m I spend reading and then I would read a little bit in the evening but not much I usually go to the gym again in the evening or make dinner and watch Grey's Anatomy all evening so I don't really read too much after work or in the evenings. And then the other real time is if I'm on the tube, which is literally just a Saturday and a Sunday or maybe like a Friday. I don't really go into London during the week. So it's mostly just weekends uh, that I make sure I have a book in my bag at all times so that I can read on the tube. And like that's where I like to spend a lot of my time reading. I find it quite enjoyable. But yeah, I would recommend always having a book on your person because you never know when the opportunity may arise that you could sit and read a chapter or two. So yeah, this year I'm trying to read 100 books. No idea how I'm gonna get there, but I'm gonna try. January started off to a very, very strong month. So I read 11 books in January, which was quite crazy. Really for me, it's probably the most I've read in a month. But I'm trying to be very strategic this year because obviously I want to read 100. And there's no way I'm going to read 100 if I read really, really like large books all year round. So I've decided to start looking at smaller books that are between 100 and 200 pages, less than 300 really. And utilising my local library that I signed up to towards the end of last year and just seeing what small books they have on offer and reading those. So I read three small books in January which I think did speed up my readathon or was the reason that I was able to read so many books in January. So if you have a high target like me, take a look at reading small books. You'll find a lot of the classics are very small. A lot of the Penguin classics. Um, like I read The Bell Jar in December by Sylvia Plath, which is a classic. It's very small. Great Gatsby is very small. I read James Baldwin in January, which is really small. And I've got Edgar Allan Poe on my shelf for February, which is another really small book. And I also read a Sherlock Holmes book in January, which was also very small. So key thing here, read some small books if you want to up your number and get there easier with your target. And it's quite good because the classics are often quite small or if you want to delve into some young adult fiction as well. 
And so without further ado, we get on to the first book of 2022, first book of January that I read, which was Shopaholic Takes Manhattan by Sophie Kinsella. So I picked this book up in New York. I was in New York over Christmas and New Year's and I wanted to read only books set in New York while I was in New York. I know, basic. So I picked up this book actually in a secondhand bookstore in New York when I was there. I think it was in Alabaster Books up in the East Village and it was only $2. But I literally came back with, I think, 11 books from New York. I bought so many or I either picked them up in like a little free library. So I went over, I think, with three and then once I find the little free libraries, I exchanged them for other ones and then I bought some and they were all like set in New York or yeah, so people go on holiday and come back with like loads of clothes or come back with trinkets. But no, I came back with eight new books and about eight new coffee mugs as well because I am a sucker for trashy knickknacks. But anyway, yeah, Shopaholic Takes Manhattan by Sophie Kinsella. The synopsis for this book, or well, the background for this book, this, this is the second book in the series. So I read the first one in the series of The Shopaholic. I can't remember what it was called. Oh, I think it was Confessions of a Shopaholic. I think it's that one. But they had like, they've turned it into a movie. Um, so I read that one like years ago. So I've seen this one and I was like, well, I'm sat in Manhattan, fits the theme I'm going with. It'll be easy reading, especially for my first book of the year. So the synopsis for this one is, with her shopping excesses somewhat in check and her career as a TV financial guru thriving, Becky Bloomwood's biggest problem seems to be tearing her entrepreneur boyfriend, Luke, away from work for a romantic country weekend. That is, until Luke announces he's moving to New York for business and he asks Becky to go with him. Before you can say a Prada sample seal, Becky has landed in the Big Apple, home of Park Avenue penthouses and luxury department stores. Surely it's only a matter of time until Becky becomes an American celebrity. She and Luke will be the toast of Gotham society. Nothing can stand in their way, especially with Becky's bills an ocean away in London. But then an unexpected disaster threatens her career prospects, her relationship with Luke and her available credit line. Becky may have taken Manhattan, but will she have to return it? So if you're a little, you know, New York enthusiast, it is such a good read because You'll recognise everywhere, all the places they mention, Fifth Avenue, Saks, Bloomingdale's, down in Soho, in Chelsea, Meatpacking District, all the key shopping locations. So it was a really feel-good kind of book for me, especially because I was, I think I read this on the flight home as well, so I was leaving New York and sad times. So it was just something really nice and cosy to read while reminiscing about New York, but as you can tell with the name Becky Bloomwood, like it's one of those cliche, romantic, funny comedy books that just make you feel nice. It's enjoyable to read, but you know it's quite cliche. It's quite ugh, that would never happen. You know the whole visa situation. She just flew to America with her boyfriend. You know, got on TV, got a job. There was no issues. There was no visa problems. No lawyers involved. It was just so easy that that part always grinds my gears in books but otherwise it's a good read it's a cute read i gave this three out of five stars so yeah one i wouldn't go rushing to recommend but one that i i wouldn't mind reading again second book i read in january was it's up to the women by eleanor roosevelt again i picked this up in new york in the west village opposite the gray dog cafe there was a little bookstore and 
they had a whole feminism section. I picked up another book, Manifesta, I think. Um, I haven't got around to reading it yet, but it's on the shelf as well. And yeah, I just seen this book. It was by Eleanor Roosevelt, written back in like 1930s. And I don't really know much about Eleanor Roosevelt. I have actually no idea about Eleanor Roosevelt. And I just read the back of it and I was like, okay, she sounds quite cool. So thought I'd pick it up and read it. So the synopsis for this one is, Eleanor Roosevelt never wanted her husband to run for president. When he won, she went on a national tour to crusade on behalf of women. She wrote a regular newspaper column, she became a champion of women's rights and civil rights, and she decided to write a book. Women, whether subtly or vociferously, have always been a tremendous power in the destiny of the world. Eleanor Roosevelt wrote in It's Up to the Women, her book of advice to women of all ages on every aspect of life. Written at the height of the Great Depression, she called on women particularly to do their part. Cutting costs were needed, spending reasonably and taking personal responsibility for keeping the economy going. I give this a 4 out of 5 stars. I really enjoyed it. Even though it was written back in 1920s, 1930s, there was a lot of information. It was kind of like a self-help book for women of the time and like a here's what you should do or how to live your life like a Marie Kondo kind of thing back in the early 1900s. It weirdly had a lot of information and advice that was still relevant today that you could still use today, like sustainable fashions, only buying clothes that you know is going to last a long time and that you can get a lot of wear out of, so not just buying what's on trend all the time and going through loads and loads of clothes, about keeping a tidy home, about how to look after your family and keep up appearances and especially you know keep in contact with people don't be shutting yourself away and I just think it was nice like obviously there are parts of it you're like "Mm," you know it's about women didn't really work and they stayed at home a lot and did all the housekeeping and cooking etc but Eleanor Roosevelt was very much about women going out to work and she talks about this in the book and if you have the skills and you can go out to work then she would urge you to do so but she does also take into consideration that a lot of people can't and they have large families and women have to look after the kids while the man goes out to work. But she says, you know, women are the future and things are going to change. And if you can get educated, be educated. It is the most valuable thing you can be. And if you can work, then work. And I also love the story about Eleanor Roosevelt always drove her own car everywhere. Like when her husband was president, she was first lady and she was the longest First Lady, I think, before they brought in the whole two terms of four years uh, rule for presidents, but she drove herself everywhere. She would never take a valet car or a chauffeur-driven car anywhere. She was a teacher. She continued to teach while she was First Lady. She very much didn't want him to to be president. She wanted a quieter life, but she also wanted to make a difference. She knew that she would have to change everything if she was to be the First Lady and attend all these glamorous events and basically be his right-hand woman and be at all these things, be visible. And that's just not what she wanted because it took her away from doing the things that she thought was important. So yeah, she seems like a bit of a powerhouse. So I like her. Third book that I read in January was Girl A by Abigail Dean. This one was a Christmas present from my mom and dad. And it's Sunday Times bestseller. It's got so many good reviews. I gave it five stars. It's going to be made into a TV series, I think, uh, this year or next year. 
but don't get me wrong it is very very heavy it's quite hard to read at times because it deals with child abuse and neglect trauma and psychological effects but it is written very 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 well so i'll give you the synopsis uh what the book's about lex gracie doesn't want to think about her family she doesn't want to think about growing up in her parents house of horrors and she doesn't want to think about her identity as girl a the girl who escaped when her mother dies in prison and leaves lex and her siblings the family home she can't run from her past any longer together with her sister evie Lex intends to turn the House of Horrors into a force for good, but first she must come to terms with her six siblings and with the childhood they shared. Beautifully written and incredibly powerful, Girl A is a story of redemption, of horror and of love. Okay, I don't know if you will also be triggered by the way that I say horror, but that is probably one of the hardest words to say with a Northern Irish accent, so forgive me. But this book is amazing, as in it's amazingly written, there are plot twists that you won't see coming. It is sad. You might want to cry at the end of it. It is very, very emotional. But do be warned that it is very hard to read. And I don't know what the TV show is going to be like. I could imagine that's also going to be a very hard thing to watch. But it is definitely one that I would recommend because it is an incredible story. And then the next few books are library books that I took out of my local library when I got back to London. The first one was one of my shorter stories that I picked up. It was A Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of the Sherlock Holmes books. And this fun fact, this book marked the first appearance of Sherlock Holmes. So this was the first book that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote that featured Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. It's a very small book, small little detective kind of novel. And I really enjoyed it. I give it four out of five stars. It was very short. It was only, I think, 150 pages or so. It dropped one star, I would say, because there was a part of it that was necessary that I had to explain the backstory, but it just lost me for a while and I kind of drifted off to sleep a little bit. But it was just the 20 pages of the book towards the end that I kind of, mm. but other than that, for a book that was written in like, I think the 1880s or even maybe 1900s, I'm not sure. It's a very, very old book, but was written very, very well, kept me entertained the whole time, thinking about who'd done it and what actually went on. Quite like Agatha Christie. If you like that kind of novel or story, then I would definitely recommend it. But the very, very short synopsis goes like this. Sherlock Holmes investigates the murder of two Americans whose deaths have some mysterious connection to sinister socialist groups gathering power in both Britain and America. And that is it. Doesn't really tell you much, but basically it is a murder mystery and a very, very good one at that. And the fifth book that I read in January was Cobble Hill by Cecily, Cecily von Ziegazar. Facebook I had seen a lot, like on Instagram and on Book TikTok, BookTok, and it really drew my attention more so because it's the same author as Gossip Girl. Now if you don't know me, I absolutely live for Gossip Girl. I'm obsessed. I watched the series about five or six times from start to finish. It used to be like a ritual every summer that I was in university. I would sit and watch Gossip Girl from start to finish. And I never get bored of it. It is always, it's so, so good. If you haven't ever watched it, please, please watch it. It is honestly probably one of the best series I've ever, ever watched. But I have never actually got round to reading the book. And I don't know if I ever would, I think. 
because it's a short book and the series goes on for like six seasons and I think it would be so different and it wouldn't be the same and yeah I don't know I don't I've, I haven't ever felt the need to read the book but I thought well if she can write Gossip Girl she must be a really good writer so I want to read this new one that she's written and obviously there is a large gap between Gossip Girl and this new book Cobble Hill but it was set in New York part of my little January theme and I was excited to read some more stuff about New York so this is the synopsis for Cobble Hill. In the eclectic Brooklyn neighbourhood of Cobble Hill, the lives of four married couples and their children are about to flip from complicated to combustible. Mandy is so underwhelmed by motherhood that she's faking a debilitating disease to get the attention of her ex-boy band celebrity husband, Stuart. There's the unconventional new school nurse, Peaches, who Stuart secretly has a crush on, and her disappointing husband, Greg, who wears noise-cancelling headphones everywhere. A few streets away, Roy, a well-known British novelist, has lost his way with his next novel and his marriage to Wendy, who knows exactly where she's going. Around the corner, Tupper struggles to salvage his career and to pin down his elusive artist wife, Elizabeth. She remains elusive. Throw in two hormonal teenagers, a 10-year-old pyromaniac, and a lot of hidden cameras, and Cobble Hill becomes an explosive mix of egos, desires, and secrets. Let the neighbours gossip, what's the worst that can happen? So already we're seeing a lot of characters, a lot of things happening, neighbourhood gossip, so I'm expecting a lot like Gossip Girl. But I will say that I read this book quite quickly. Uh, it was easily digestible. I rated it three out of five stars because there were a lot of characters and it was enjoyable to read and easy to read, but there was a lot going on. So it was kind of hard to grasp everything. And I will say nothing actually really happened. Like it was just an easy read. Like if you had you know, like a little graph of this book like it would be a steady line very very steady line right until like the end 20 pages where it would just like spike upwards because something kind of dramatic happens towards the end and then that's it so it could have probably went somewhere else it could have been a little better i think but it was leading up to this last 20 pages but i wouldn't even say that it was it was leading up the whole way through but yeah, the last 20 pages were probably the most exciting part of the book and it just didn't really live up to my expectations. And now we get on to the classic section of my reading for this month. So the first classic book that I read and number five, six, the sixth book that I read in January was A Month in the Country by J.L. Carr. This was a very, very thin book. I think under 200 pages looked like a very easy read and was in the penguin classic section so the synopsis for this one is a damaged survivor of the first world war tom birkin finds refuge in the quiet village church of oxgodby where he is to spend the summer uncovering a huge medieval wall painting immersed in the peace and beauty of the countryside and the unchanging rhythms of village life he experiences a sense of renewal and belief in the future now an old man, Birkin looks back on the idyllic summer of 1920, remembering a vanished place of blissful calm, untouched by change, a precious moment he has carried with him through the disappointments of the years. A month in the country traces the slow revival of the primeval rhythms of life so cruelly disorientated by the Great War. I almost gave this book two stars, but I bumped it up to three stars because there were a lot of nice passages and really, really nice writing, and it was a pleasant read. But again, like the book before, nothing really happened. Like, nothing. 
it was just a pleasant steady read-along book 150 pages there were no chapters it was just a nice story but this has been made into a movie with Kenneth Branagh and Colin Firth which I have no inclination to watch or look for because I have no idea how they would make a movie that of this 150 page book where nothing really happened but yeah not my best classic find or read and book number seven that I read in January was Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf, another classic, another Penguin classic. And Virginia Woolf is a very well-known name, a household name, one that I've heard of but I've never actually read. So I was really intrigued and excited to read this book because the synopsis said that this is said to be Virginia Woolf's greatest novel and is a vivid portrait of a single day in one woman's life. So. The overview of the story is, when we meet her, Mrs. Clarissa Dalloway is preoccupied with the last minute details of party preparation while in her mind she is something much more than a perfect society hostess. As she readies her house, she is flooded with remembrances of faraway times and met with the realities of the present. Clarissa re-examines the choices that brought her there, hesitantly looking ahead to the unfamiliar work of growing old. I do want to say that I didn't read the synopsis for this book before I dove straight into it and because I didn't know that it was set in a single day I thought it was very chaotic and halfway through I realised okay this is actually this whole book has been one single day and because it was so chaotic there was so many characters and it switched from it switches from different perspectives like constantly throughout the book and you're introduced to so many different people and it just took me so long to get my head around it and it was really really hard to follow and I just didn't really enjoy it like there was some paragraphs that were written really really well and quite like metaphorical or got you thinking about your future and your life and she was questioning like the people that she grew up with and the person that she married etc and mm, it just wasn't my favorite book and there was no chapters again which is just a full story and it wasn't broken up so you didn't really know what was like what was happening and that's why I kept switching all the time and I think if it had been broken down into chapters and from different people's perspectives like you were more aware of who was telling the story at each time then it would have made things a lot easier and would have been easier to follow and a more enjoyable read but yeah I gave it a two out of five stars and will I be reading more Virginia Woolf? I don't think so. And my eighth book, and this is another one from the library, was Transcendent Kingdom by Ya Gyasi. This one I had seen on Jack Edwards' YouTube video that he got for Christmas, and as soon as I seen it in the library, I was like, absolutely, I will have that one. It is a very recent book, and I think it was published 2021. And Ya Gyasi is also the author of Homegoing, which is a book that has been on my list for a long time that I haven't yet come across to buy but after reading this one I will be straight to my local bookshop and seeing if I can get a copy because Transcending Kingdom was amazing. The synopsis for this one is Gifty is a fifth year candidate in neuroscience at Stanford School of Medicine studying reward-seeking behavior in mice and the neural circuits of depression and addiction. Her brother, Nana, was a gifted high school athlete who died of a heroin overdose after a knee injury left him hooked on OxyContin. Her suicidal mother is living in her bed. 
Gifty is determined to discover the scientific basis for the suffering she sees all around her. But even as she turns to the hard sciences to unlock the mystery of her family's loss, she finds herself hungering for her childhood, faith and grappling with the evangelical church in which she was raised, whose promise of salvation remains as tantalising as it is elusive. So this book does cover drug addiction, overdose, depression and some hard topics around death and grief and around faith. So it, it is like a hard read but also it's written so so beautifully and this one I couldn't put down. I wanted to read as much as I could every time so so it was a, a good change from the previous two books that I read that were putting me to sleep almost. Uh, so this was, although it wasn't a light topic or a cheerful topic, it was still a gripping story and one that you'd almost think that was a true story and had happened to like Yagayasi personally. Um, it was a very, very well told story and it was very well written, covering all these like really, really hard hidden topics. And I would definitely recommend you read it. And this is why I want to read Homegoing because I've heard so many good things about that as well. So five out of five stars for me. And the next book is Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. So this is another Penguin classic. And I went in thinking, oh my God, another one because this is another library book. It was another short story that I picked up and I had heard of James Baldwin and had heard very good things. So I did go in with the thought that this is gonna be absolute crap like the other two, but I was proven wrong and gladly proven wrong because I rated this five stars and it was one of the best books I read in January. I was going to say in this year, but obviously we're at the very start of the year. But this is a book that I would pick up again. I would read again. It reminded me of The Great Gatsby and that kind of era. But even though this is, this is set like 30 years later in the 1950s, but it had that Gatsby feel to it. And I guess it was a story that I would go back and read again. I would definitely recommend that you read. So this is the synopsis of this story. Considered an audacious second novel, Giovanni's Room is set in the 1950s Paris of American expatriates, liaisons and violence. This now classic story of a faded love triangle explores with uncompromising clarity the conflicts between desire, conventional morality and sexual identity. One of the most important American writers of the 20th century, James Baldwin's novels primarily address issues of race, class and sexual inequality, including Giovanni's Room, which was extremely controversial in its representation of gay relationships. So this book deals with an American man in Paris who has a girlfriend and she has went off to Spain for a couple of months and this man ends up falling in love with a bartender a male bartender and it kind of just goes through the motions of him figuring out his identity, sexual identity, um, thinking about you know if he went back to America it would be frowned upon by his family, his friends, you know can he come out to other people, he also has his girlfriend that he loves and it's it's honestly so amazingly written and obviously I give it five stars and it's just very it's heavy as well, like there's a lot of things that happen, a lot of things that go on and I enjoyed that it was set in Paris because I'm going to Paris soon but it had that real Parisian feel and that like 1950s and it, it was just a really good book but as the synopsis said, 
it was quite controversial in the fact that James Baldwin is a black man and that he wrote about a white man being a homosexual. And that was the controversy of it. And people didn't like it at the time. And they thought, you know, who was he to write about this kind of thing? And why did he make the guy white? And that was the controversy at the time. But it's a classic. It's one of his best books, apparently. And I will read more of them because he, to me, seems like an amazing writer. And I really enjoyed it. And I rated it five stars. And our 10th book of January, we are almost at the end, was You Exist Too Much by Zaina Arafat. So this book came in my Books That Matter subscription. So I subscribe to this monthly book subscription and it's a box that arrives every month, as I said. Um, and it has a new book every month. It's always by a female author. Uh, it's usually like an up and coming author or somebody you should know about. It also has like a monthly theme. So, for example, January theme was I Weigh, so it's with Jamila Jamil, her movement, if that's the right word for it. So it comes with a little magazine every month. It has your physical book. It also has some motivational quotes, some cards, um, things that you can put on your wall. This one had a massive, huge bath bomb, which I will be using. And it came with like a hot chocolate shot so it was like a piece of chocolate that you like dunk into hot milk and then mix into hot chocolate and it comes with like you know like body spray or like lavender spray like just like little it's like a care package is what I describe it as and I love getting it every month so it arrives every month in a little box and you have your book and all your little trinkets and little things that are put in so in the past I've had like reusable cotton wool pads, different like body sprays, or there's been like, you know, um, sometimes there are two books rather than one. Um, like one of the books was all about like the environment and sustainability. So a lot of the products were sustainable products that you could use over and over again, which is really useful, like a vegan like lip balm. But yeah, it's books that matter. They have Instagram and TikTok and you can have a look and you can subscribe one off or you can subscribe monthly like I do. And I'm trying to get better at reading the book that comes every month because I've been getting them I think since like October so I have three books that I haven't read so they come and I'm like oh yay the book's here and then I put it in a pile with the rest of my books that I haven't read and it's left there so I said right from now on I'm going to start reading these books once they arrive so I did and I read it so you exist too much follows a woman and her sexual identity and living in New York and her family and her past that belongs in like Jordan and like Palestine and that, that area and of her traveling through those countries and her identity of being American but also having that part of the world as her identity but also a major theme of this book is that this woman battles love addiction and goes to like a rehab center to deal with it. It was a good book and I did enjoy it I just thought it was a very slow burner of a book like it took me a while to get into it and nothing really majorly happened it was just kind of like a steady paced book and you know had like a lot of emotions or dealt with like a lot of topics but I rated it three out of five stars because it just didn't have enough excitement for me and then on to the last book of the month book 11 I decided to change things up a bit get another book off my shelf from my TBR list because 
this month was basically all library books and I thought I would read a thriller because a lot of the books that I'd been reading had been like hard-hitting and very steady with their like storyline like it didn't get too gripping or like it didn't you know have that suspense or get you really like emotively involved so I chose Verity by Colleen Hoover I read I think three Colleen Hoover books last year which I really enjoyed and also the hype is real obviously she's all over booktok all over instagram everybody is reading colleen hoover at the minute and because of that i always do feel a bit like okay i can't give colleen hoover five stars because everyone else gives her five stars but there is a reason why everyone gives her five stars but her previous books did make me cringe so much a lot of the language is very very well like cheesy like it is just a plate and utter mac and cheese like it is ugh crawling with cheese but this one is her standalone thriller and it was like a self-published i think on amazon um because her publisher wouldn't publish the book since it wasn't in the line of what she's recently done like previously done and but they were all for her to go and do this if she wanted to do it go and self-publish and write something different and honestly it was very very good very disturbing at times and like very very hard to read there's a mention of child abuse and um, it can be quite graphic and yeah it was hard to read but also a very very good story like very unique and there were twists and turns you didn't see coming it had the suspense factor it had the like oh, i need to keep reading and i read this and i think in like two days and yeah i would definitely recommend it is be warned it is very hard to read at times and sensitive but very very good so five out of five stars for me again colleen hoover you're welcome and there we go that is my 11 books that i read in january the reviews and the ratings and if i look back at the month the books that i rated five out of five stars and would highly recommend were girl a by abigail dean transcending kingdom by yagayasi and verity by colleen hoover and giovanni's room by james baldwin which is also five out of five stars so i don't want to say that i give the really morbid books five out of five stars but that did seem to be the theme in january but going into february i have decided to read a little life this book has been on my shelf for a long time. It is over 700 pages long and has been far too daunting for me to read. But time and time again, I keep seeing the reviews, keep seeing the five stars, keep seeing that this book will break you so much. And I thought, right, since I got a head start in January and read a lot of books, I'm going to go into February and I'm going to take this book and I'm going to read it because I have uh, two flights in January. So I thought it'd be a good time. I'd have a lot of time to read it. And yeah, I'm going to tackle that one. I have four more library books to read as well. I said to myself that I wouldn't get any books out in February since that took up most of my reading time in January, but I seen these books and I couldn't say no. So I have four more library books to read. I will have another Books That Matter book coming in February. And I just don't know if I'm going to get through my TBR shelf at all, the books that I actually own. And there's over 60 of them. So... I'll be back next month with my monthly review of February and hopefully I get through a little life. Maybe in the first week, first two weeks, maybe the whole month of February it will take me to read this book because, yeah, 700 pages that I mention. And I'll see you again in a month. Thanks for listening. Bye! <laughs>